0: Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail podcast. We're gonna be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're gonna step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, episode 45, Mission Whitetail. Got my buddy Heath Cisco from the snowy Ohio. <laughs> I don't know if you got any <laughs> snow up there yet, Heath, but uh, are you getting no. any, yet? any, any snow just... up there yet? Uh,
1: no. Uh, you know, what's crazy is uh, it, it's hard to come by uh, snow in Ohio during deer season anymore. Um, you know, I live in southern Ohio, and I got a lot of friends that are big duck hunters And with the winters we've had, I mean, the duck hunting's even been terrible because the Great Lakes and stuff, a lot of those tributaries stuff up there got to freeze to push everything down. We just don't get the weather like we used to.
0: That's something. Yeah, you know, we we in South Carolina when I was growing up, we we would get probably three snows a year and at least you know uh, uh you know three or four days of real cold ice and we just you know the last five years it just has not been like that um I, yeah. I think it's going through a cycle you know just through a cycle of a little warmer temperatures
1: i think so too and you know what's funny is we get the colder temperatures and weather at the end of february beginning of march but it just doesn't last very long
0: yeah well maybe they'll get some good snow up there for you and uh, but you've already killed your buck so um you, you, yeah that, that's such a bad problem to have and
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know everybody calls me uh say that i love hunting late season well it's because i'm not a good hunter through october november
0: december <laughs> No, that's not true that's not true at all you're picky you're picky <laughs> and, and you got a you got a certain caliber buck and you 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 get one it seems like every single year of that caliber, and and uh, it's it's impressive what you've done, guys. Heath is part of the uh, Whitetail Addictions crew, and um, Heath, did you do dominant bucks back in the day, or or you started with Whitetail Addictions?
1: I I actually started with Don Kiske on Whitetails taking it to the extreme, and did that uh, for a few years with them, and then I got out of filming completely because just uh, you know having a cameraman and stuff is just I about ruined a really good friendship over it, so Mm -hmm. I got out of it, uh, then finally got back into it when the cameras become a little smaller, camera arms become more compact, and then I started with, uh, it was Whitetail Addictions, but it was back in the XOP days when they were with XOP, so uh, they had a Whitetail Addictions show, it was sponsored by XOP, and I joined in with them then, and then just been involved with them ever since.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's a group, I mean, with Justin and Andre and, and that whole team, man, it's a it's a bunch of guys that, that get after it, like-minded, hunt hard. I mean, it, it's a great team. Yeah, but I'm very
1: fortunate to be a part of it and become friends with all of them. So it, it's, you know, that's one thing about nice with being in the whitetail community, you get to meet some really great people and, uh, you know, and then we share the same interest and sometimes we end up um, able to expand our access as well. So,
0: Yeah. Yeah, because I know you hunt down in Illinois some now too, don't you? Yep, yep. I hunt down there. I've hunted there since 2015. Uh, Got
1: uh, on a couple leases out there that are uh, really, you know, really nice leases, and I've been going out there every year. So,
0: now, were you with Justin when he when he killed his deer this year? Were you down there, or you still you had already killed at home? So, were you there? Yes. Okay. I was there.
1: Yes, I was hunting another part of the farm. Uh, and uh, I was there and got to share that moment with Justin. So
0: yeah, it was very a, nice. What a great deer! Yes, absolutely. Well, before you know what, guys, what we're going to talk about today. The you know we're we're getting into middle of December. It's going to be late season here soon, and and Heath has, has, has been known over the last few years as the Iceman, quote-unquote. You know, he, he, uh, he, he seems to, to always get it done late season. So as we transition into late season, I, I could not think of a better guy to have on the podcast than Heath to walk us through his tactics and what he does late season. But before we get into that, man, would you mind walking us through your buck this year? Cause I mean, that was a heck of a deer and and just kind of sure. walk us through that story and and tell us, you know, kind of how you went about killing him and, and how it all came together. Sure.
1: Well, this deer, I, uh, found out about three years ago and, uh, he was a smaller deer at the time, you younger. And uh, I just, uh, I try to keep track of all the, the up and comers and didn't pay much attention to him three years ago. Then last year, uh, he showed back up again. Uh, he'd put on a lot of mass, uh, but his tines and stuff weren't really big. And he was real active on this small piece of property I have so uh, throughout October and into November. And then I ran trail cameras over there this past summer and he showed up and just blew up into made a great buck. And it was one that I wanted to target. So going into this fall, um, he was the only target buck I had. I try to just you know pick out one to two deer unless I have several big ones, uh, but I try to pick out one <laughs> or two deer. So I, he he was it. So I put all my eggs in that one basket. And uh, this piece of property, is, like I said, small, I have some food on it, planted. Uh, I plant about five acres of food plots on it. I had about an acre and a half of clover and uh, the rest of it's winter wheat, uh, rye and turnips. So uh, go, throughout the summer, I was continuing to get his picture, And then when it moved on into uh, September, I planted... Uh, on September 1st, I planted my food plots. And like I said, I already had about an acre and a half of clover. Went back yeah. and planted the rest of the stuff. And uh, we didn't get a rain for a month. So my seeds sat there and just uh, the weeds started coming up. And it was terrible. And finally started getting some rains and, uh, and the, the seeds started sprouting. But he was still coming out in my clover plot. But on September the 19th, I think it was, was the last daylight picture I had of him. And he he... I was still getting pictures of him every once in a while, but that, that time frame coincides with acorn drop up here. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the acorns started falling, he left my green food plot, and, and he has to go travel a little ways to get the acorn. So, so I didn't get him for uh, a few days, and he started showing back up. So going in, I thought this thing was going to be a slam dunk come 1st of October, and uh, it turned out to where it was everything but that. Um, so in October I was getting him sporadically and it was always at night, late at night. And so around the 15th of October, uh, you know, I kind of threw out the plan that it's going to happen early. And I thought I got to settle in and try to get him before the rut. There's a lot of does in this area and I knew he would be traveling a lot. So uh, I, I took a day and, uh, I knew I needed to hunt this area a lot at the right time, which was going to be at the end of October. And uh, I needed to have really good access where I can get in, clean and out. Yep. And so I, I took a, a whole day and spent like six hours trimming me out of entry trail to get into the north side of the property, trimming me out an entry trail to get into the south side of the property. And the deer mainly fed in for, they come in, they bedded on the west or the east side of the property. So when I got my access and everything set up, uh, it was just timing after that. And the closer it got to November, I knew, that he was going to start showing up on camera. And towards the last week of October, he uh, was getting closer to daylight. And we had a rain that came in around the 27th to 28th, and it lasted for about two and a half to three days. And I knew as soon as that rain quit that it was going to have these deer active because the movement was shut down because it's raining so hard and stuff. And then looking at the weather, it was also the temperature was supposed to drop because it was, I can't say above average average, Above normal temperatures, but it was fairly warm. So when that happened, uh, it quit raining around noon on uh, on Monday, and the temperature had already been falling throughout the, the morning and towards the evening. And I went out that evening and uh, got set up, got in tight on uh, where I thought he'd be coming out, and uh, just so happened he was the fourth deer that came through. And that's the first time I had him in daylight. I shot him at four thirty. First time I had him in daylight since September nineteenth. Wow. So. So it just it was it was a it's kind of like late season. It was just timing the weather and the time of year just
0: right, and getting in there tight and making it happen. So, now let's back up to your access. You, you did you have some preset stands you needed to get to, or you were just kind of trimming some places to get into uh, an area you needed to get?
1: So the problem with this farm is there's a lot of this what they call bush honeysuckle, and you've probably dealt oh, yeah. with
0: that. It's, yep. it's
1: terrible. So I have an access to get in, but, uh, but it's terrible to leave because you got to walk down by the food. So I wanted to be able to, to be able to, I could walk up the clear access to get into the food and go to wherever I wanted to on that food plot. I had uh, probably six or eight trees already trimmed out. Some of them had stands in it. Some of them didn't and I had it already trimmed out. So I wanted to be able to slip out the backside and to do that all the deer come from the east and filter into the center of them where the food is then i needed to slip out to my uh, north and south perimeters and walk the fence to get out where i had access so that's and, what i did
0: and and that's so important you know we, we talk about this all the time is is what separates a good a good hunter from a great hunter and and work ethic is is right up there at the top of the list you know a lot of guys would say, you know, I can just wait till it's super dark, throw a hat light on, and and just walk out the same way I came in. But but you can't, right? I mean, when yeah, you're hunting, <clears throat> when you're hunting a deer of that caliber, um, you know, or or I'll get I'll get somebody to to come in and 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 bump the food, and then I can get out that way. And and, yep. and of, of course, that is a way to do it. And in worst case scenario, you can do that. But I mean, you took it to another level. You, yep. you looked at everything and you said, okay, this. is cutting through all this privet or honeysuckle is going to be a pain in the butt, but this, this deer is worth it. And, and I've set my mind to it. And so I'm going to put the work in and trim these trails. And like you said, it took a, a full day, you know, to, 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 cut all this. And, and, and I'm sure I, I don't, how many, t- this was the first time you hunted him or um, what was it? So,
1: so this was the third, third day I hunted him. So I knew that it was just one of those, at the end of October, he was going to come out. Mm-hmm. And I, I I could have sat back and waited for the perfect weather condition, but this is the first time that I got in tight. I was always sitting back and yeah. watching, just monitoring the field to see what would happen. Because this stuff's so thick around the outside of it, You that bush honeysuckle, I mean, you can't, you have to take a bulldozer to trim shooting lanes and stuff back in that stuff. If you don't have it pre-ready, then you're just screwed if you're trying to do it during season. So yeah. I would set back in, in, uh, in areas along that field to where uh, I could get out quick uh, without deer being right on top of me. But when it was time, when the weather was perfect, I jumped in. So what yeah. my plan was, since this buck was real aggressive, he was aggressive in the years past, I was setting back and hoping that if he did show up during daylight, I would try to you know do some light calling to pulling over to me was yeah. the kind of the plan but then when he showed up this evening I, like i said i kind of knew where he was going to be coming out with the weather conditions and the wind direction and i just got in tight on that trail preset stand and jumped in it
0: yeah and and that's you know that's something we talk about too is is you and i both do a lot of mobile hunting as well you know we have our, our mobile rigs and, and maybe we can dive into that before we get into late season here but um I, i'm a big preset guy too because I hunt a lot of the same properties every year, over and over and over again, and and I guess I'll I'll call them semi-permanent. I pull them down after the season and I put them back yeah. up, you know, in in August, um, you know, and I but I may not hunt them until October or November. But they're they're traditional rut funnels or or you know we we've got a white oak ridges and things like that that I'll have presets on, but then always have a couple of mobile setups too
1: yeah well when i when i run like when i go out of state to illinois i usually take three setups with me and and do i do a mobile hunt every time no i I like going in uh you know the around noon on one day or you know maybe 10 o'clock scouting hanging a stand hunting it that night hunting it the next morning and then jumping to the next now if it's good i'll leave it and always have another one to where i can go jump in it or take it to jump on the field edge or whatever. And then I just rotate through those and then I'll pull, rotate, pull, rotate. And just, uh, I always got to stand at the truck to where if something changes, the wind changes, conditions change, or I'm back at the truck and see a big one on the way or whatever, I can always
0: grab it and go. Yeah. Yeah, that and that's a, that's a good tip. Is you know I'm the same way with with trail cameras too. I try to always have a trail camera, mm-hmm. not not necessarily in my pack, but but you know in my truck that that, that I can deploy at any time at any place. Yes, yes. Yeah. So what is what is your um what is your mobile setup? Because I know guys are real interested in that with you being sure in with Andre and the DeQuistos and Lone Wolf. And what you
1: said, I very rarely go in before daylight and do a hang and hunt. I mm-hmm. like to have my stands pre-hung for a morning set. Now, I have for trees that I've hunted before. But what I what I currently run is uh, my favorite stand is the Point .5 DeQuisto yep. series. Um, um, the sticks I like running, I usually run three doubles, all three of them with aders. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I got the sidekick on it. And uh, then I, you know, I film all my hunts. So I got the little camera arm, uh, the mini uh, pocket arm that they have now. So uh, that's pretty much my setup. And, and I have another, I have two stands. that's exactly like everything's the same they are taped up the same, the whole works. And those are 2.5s. And then I got, uh, I got a .75 uh, that I run as well. Uh, and, and I run uh, the, uh, the uh, single s- steps on them. You know uh the the minis i guess you could say and i run four sticks on that and three of them have eighters and yeah. i use those in case you know i need to get higher or whatever but those generally i only use three sticks so uh and i try to space them apart but those are the setups that i run i do have a, a 1.0 as well because i got four stands right now because i have one of the original 1.0s so i run it too it's got a little bit more room the 0.75 has a little bit more foot room maybe for later season hunting with bigger clothes, bigger boots, stuff like that. So yeah, those are my, that's my setup.
0: Yeah. Those are, I have found those to be the absolute best stands that, that you can put your hands on. Um, yeah.
1: And I have too, but I can't say I've tried all the other ones, but it just, I can't see how it can be any better, but you know, um, I haven't tried all the other stands either. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there are, there, 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 there are a lot of good stands out there. It's just Andre being, such a good hunter and knowing what he needs to, to be mobile and, and, you know, what they have done with it. it it's a it's a great product. You know, it, it yes. is a, it's a great product.
1: Yeah, I like using the doubles a little bit more. It seems like it's a little quicker for me to pack up and unpack other than taking the uh, minis to where you, I put them together with the J hooks and stuff. And then I take my straps off and put them in the pouch underneath the seat for my minis. And then the doubles, I just wrap the strap around the, uh, the pegs and it, it works out good. So yeah. it, it's quick and efficient and, uh, being able to grab it and know where everything's at every time. So
0: that's good. All right. Well, let's dive in if, if we can on some late season stuff. And let's say that you had not killed your buck, Yeah. but, um, Walk us through your late season approach. If, if you know, you're getting into January, um, middle to end of January, late season, cold, snow, just I'm, I'm going to let you talk and, and, and you can kind of walk us through. And I may ask a few questions here and there, but kind of what's your, what your soup to nuts tactics are late season?
1: Sure. So the for me, you know, late season, the main thing is being able to find a target buck. Mm-hmm. Now uh, my standards drop off a lot late season because I want to be able to have a huntable buck. I want to be in the game. I don't want to say, okay, I'm only going to kill a 170 when there's no seventies around. Uh, I-, I set my target on a buck. A lot, a lot of times I've killed bucks that are 30 inches smaller in January than what I passed up in November. It is what it is. I just want to be in the game. So once I locate this buck, um, I like the, whether it's a glassing a field or actually going in and scouting and getting a picture of one. And sometimes it's it's getting a picture of one like in November, and you say, okay, that's a good buck. I, I bet I know where he's at and then going back in in December and trying to find him. But once I find this buck, I want to find out where they're feeding at. So, uh, so because late season's all about food. You know, that's all they think about. Once they get the uh, uh, the food survival, once they get the rut over with, they want to keep their belly full. So you got to find the food. And here in Southern Ohio, uh, food could in- be anywhere from a, a picked bean field, picked cornfield, uh, to uh, winter wheat fields. Winter wheat fields are great. They like the you know it's it's a little warmer at times or whatever down here, so they like green food sources. A lot of times the acorns are already gone. And we also have not bush, uh, not the bush honeysuckle, but we have the viney honeysuckle, and they really like it because it stays green throughout then you also get into, uh, we have a lot of thorned honey locusts and you got them big locust bean pods. So what I do is I go into that area where I think that Buck's app, I go in there and scout it one day, and I like to push the limit to see where kind of they're bedded at, to go in there and jump a bunch of deer, find a bunch of droppings, find a bunch of beds. I don't necessarily have to find his because he's usually probably there with several other deer. But mm-hmm. I want to see where they're at, see where the trails are actually headed. And like I said, so I don't know how you don't get a lot of snow, so uh, you got to determine where exactly they're going. Uh, so so I try to determine that and then you know I may set up a couple cameras and, and I may set back and start doing some observation sets uh, to try to observe where they're coming out at and uh, and are they moving like I think. So once I find that, uh, you know it, it's all about being able to get in and get out of your stand setup or the location of where you plan on, uh, you know, uh, where you plan on trying to take advantage of that deer. And, you know, you're looking at wind directions and all that kinds of stuff and doing a, you know, setting up your stand. I like to have the pre-hung stand in late season. I don't want to be, the woods at times are quiet enough. The deer are touchy enough. I want to have the stand pre-hung and be ready to get up in it. Plus I'm going to have on bulkier clothes I don't want to work up a sweat and all that kinds of stuff. And now, uh,
0: will you? Sorry, let me let me let me sure. interrupt you for a second. All right. So when you say you have a preset, now when you that, that just means that you have gone in, scouted. You know where the buck is. You you kind of know where he's going to feed. So then you will actually go in maybe in the middle of the morning or something like that and hang this stand, um, and then and then you'll come back that afternoon and hunt or. Or or you just you know your property so well that you've already got them pre hung like you hung them in in September or October for late season.
1: So so normally I don't have them pre hung that early. Uh, okay. But but I've got a couple farms that I know how they work late season. So uh, you know I do have a I have a pre I have a tree that's already trimmed out, let's say, and ready to roll. Um, but like you said, yes, I like going in at ten o'clock in the morning, and, and I don't like really hanging them. It depends on how I'm hunting. If I'm targeting one deer and I have a whole month to do it, and he's at home, you know, not away, out of state, um, I'll go in and pre-hang that stand. And it may be a week or two before I ever get in it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I'm waiting on the right conditions. Uh, So, and a lot of times that stand, uh, that stand position will be determined by let's say an observation stand. You know, I may set back a couple hundred yards if at all possible and observe deer flowing through that area. You know, I know how that buck. I assume how he's going to travel, but that way I get a good idea. I don't want to go in there and set up and think, okay, here's where I got to kill a buck, and here's where I want to kill him, and they cut in behind me or do something like that. Because when I go in, I, I want that to be a one-time hunt, if if at all possible. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. So once I position that uh, and, and determine, you know, where they're coming through, position my stand. I'll set back and wait on specific weather conditions. That way when I do go in there, it's at to optimal deer movement time, whether that is you know going off the moon guide, whether that is uh, you know after a a small front that comes through or just temperature changes, high pressure days, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, okay. yes, yeah, so I, I understand yeah that, that that makes good sense is is you 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 see how they're moving, you go in ten o'clock in the morning, hang the stand, get out of there let things settle and then waiting on the right weather or, or or the right condition to go back in there. Yep.
1: Yes. Yeah. Because it's all about, uh, I'm usually, you know, three, 400 yards away from their bedding area. Mm -hmm. So I got to get the, sometimes they'll just feed around their bedding area and they won't get it farther enough, far enough away to make it to the field before dark. And, and I don't like sitting right on the edge of the field a lot of times because then how do you get out?
0: Yeah, yeah So right. I
1: try to catch them in between. So there's a sweet spot a lot of times between that field edge and where they're bedding. And I'm closer to the field edge than the bedding, but I'm not right on top of the bedding to where I'm going to bump them out when I go in.
0: That yeah, kind of you, deal. You can let them all get out into the field. You know, if it's too late to shoot him, but but, you know, all the deer come through there, you can let them all get out in the field then you can slip out the back and, and they're, no, they're no more the wiser and, and, and then you're ready to hunt another day. Whereas if you were dead on top of the food and you got to blow them out of there, you could have ruined your entire late season.
1: Yeah, you, that, you get one crack and I, that's why I think a lot of people fail. is because they set right up on the food and let's say their target buck, they may see him. He doesn't come in range or they don't even see him, but then they've got to blow everything else out when they get down. And these deer are a different animal in December and January than what they were in late October or November. I mean, the does will just, they're looking for anything and everything and they're coming to investigate and it's just really tough. But once you tip a couple of them off, it's its tough to make it happen after that, especially if you tip off your target buck.
0: Yeah. And, and that was a question I had on the list <clears throat> because you've done this so much is what do you see guys, you know, the mistakes they make and- and I, I think that's a good one is um, setting up right on top of the food. You know, yes. that, that, that can be a big mistake.
1: Yeah, setting up on top of food, even if you're like a, uh, let's say, you know, Ohio is a bait state, so you can hunt bait. Um, but setting up on top of bait, a lot of times, most of the time, in my opinion, would be terrible because you can't get off of it. Yeah, and 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 you know, and a lot of that's one of the problems. People set up too close to the food, and then another problem is you know getting in and getting out. If if you don't get it done on the first hunt, whether you're bait hunting or field edge hunting, your chances diminish greatly. But if you set up in between that, whether it's a food plot or a, a, a crop field or just a a, a brush field where there's a lot of honeysuckle or locust pods coming down. If you set up away from that, you can slip into it and you can slip out and have multiple opportunities of hunting instead of uh, blowing it the first night. And, you know, getting into late season, people think, well, okay, I got this big buck coming out to this field. Well, they'll just jump in and hunt the first chance they get. Well, that's not always the best. You got to wait for the right conditions because these deer will be out in that uh, field Or up and feeding, you know, a couple hours before dark on certain days compared to right at dark on other days.
0: Yeah, and 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 you you and I both know if you if you're out there on on the field edge and you get four or five old mature does out there, it's just a matter in late season when there's no cover and you're cold, it's just a matter of time before one of them's gonna pick you off and get down wind of you or whatever and. And um, yeah, I mean that the ambush of the to and from is the is the absolute key. Sure, I've seen mature
1: bucks when when I have got cracked on the field edge, and not even by a mature buck. I've had mature bucks come to a field and feed almost every night, you know, be after dark, and then go in there and hunt and get cracked by a few of those does, maybe a small buck or whatever. And that buck just quit showing up at all, day or night, on that field because. They're reclusive and stuff. They they'll figure out another place to get food instead of messing around with hunting pressure and stuff. So,
0: yeah. Well, it, it take take us through maybe a couple hunts. Um, I know what it was the last two years, right? That you killed late season. Um, so
1: <laughs> last year I actually killed uh, October the thirteenth, which was early for me. That, that is not <laughs> but, late uh,
0: season.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the but the. Two years prior to that in Ohio, yes, it was late season. So so we can go back to, uh, I thought about that today on what bucks would talk about. So this buck I'll talk about was several years ago. Um, okay. it, was a, it was a buck that I located in, uh, in November, and I was hunting another buck, and that buck disappeared in gun season. And uh, this buck was a really good buck, is 166-inch 11-point. So uh, I yeah. set out to target him. And I went in and scouted this area, and I ended up finding out the area he was bedding in. And it was a really thick uh, cutover. Uh, on, and this, these were some big ridges and stuff, big hill country. So I found out the area where I suspected him bedding. I didn't jump him, but I found some large droppings, big tracks, nice beds and stuff. I assume one of them was his. I'm not sure if I got his or not. But and there was a picked cornfield, probably, um, I, I don't know. Four or five hundred yards away, probably, eh, probably five hundred yards away, and I knew that he would be leaving that bedding area and headed to that pick cornfield. So, um, what I did was I looked at the terrain and I followed some of the trails because you know late season the trails are easier to decipher and look at because they're you don't have the leave matter and all that kinds of stuff. You can see them, and a lot of times these big deer in late season, they will travel along with the rest of the deer on these trails. Not all the time, but a lot of times. So I found this uh, pinch point on an inside corner uh, in between this bedding area and the pick corn, And I scouted it and I could see where, you know, there was some pretty good tracks in the leaves where they were moving down through there. And there was a nice trail around that ridge. So I, I scouted it, picked out, I seen those several trees that I could get up in. And uh, so I waited. It was warm then, and I waited almost two weeks for the right weather conditions. And then what happened was they come in, it, it was, uh, there was a rain for a day or so, and it was warm. Then it was, the temperatures were supposed to change and drop uh, from like noon that day till like dark. It was It was probably 55 degrees at noon, and by dark, it was supposed to be like 20. Wow. And then it was supposed to be really cold for the next two or three days. So I knew that, that little that change from being warm at 60 to 70 degrees would get these deer up and moving. They'd want to get you, they'd want to get their belly full before all that stuff happened. So what I did was I actually did a hanging <laughs> hunt on this hunt, but I was around the ridge from where he was bedded. I assumed he was bedded. So I was able to make I could make a little bit more noise if needed. I set up my stand and, uh, you know, right before dark, he comes slipping around that ridge and I shot him at like 15 yards. So it worked out. He was headed straight to that cornfield. He was like the third deer I seen because this deer was this area was a low density uh, deer area. But it was this inside corner of this field and just how the terrain laid on this point. uh, It made for a perfect setup Uh, my uh, the wind. I had it set up to where my wind was just kicking off the end of that point. So it worked out perfect.
0: And again, the the amount of work you put into finding this place, right? Everything lined yes. up, the food source, where he was bedded, the pinch. I mean, you know, everybody talks about hunting rut funnels and, you know, hunting the pinches during the during the rut. And we, we talk about that all the time with Bobby. And um, you know, that's that can be used, the same concept can be used early season and late season when they're going to food anything you can use to pinch them down is it it stacks the odds in your favor
1: yes absolutely and i I took advantage of that the way it was set up where the cornfield was it just worked out perfect and it was a one-time go in and i i was able to make it happen at one hunt. so
0: now had you seen him out in the field any in daylight or gotten any daylight pictures of him out there you you, you, never you you never had a you knew the food, you knew the big tracks, you knew the bed, and you said he's got to be coming through here.
1: Yes. No, I had a picture of him not too far off from that pinch point, but I never, I didn't have access to the cornfield. Gotcha. So, you know what I mean? I only had access to the big timber area. So. Ah. And, and he right. had to cross a road to get to the cornfield. So I'm assuming that it, when I caught him right before dark, he was timing it to where he would probably get to the road to cross right at dark.
0: I assumed. Yes. I don't know. Yep. Yeah. That was sneaky, Heath. I like it. Yeah. That's good stuff. That's, that's an <laughs> ambush. That's a heck of an ambush story right there. I
1: love it. And then again, like I said, it goes back. I could have went in there and hunted that, that spot five times and just, and messed it up completely. But I waited for the exact conditions to get in there for optimal deer movement
0: and made it happen. So, yeah. Food, bed, two of the huge uh components. To to success, right, and then yes, connecting the dots with the tightest possible spot. And I'm guessing that you know if you had had three or four days, you you could have hunted that spot. And, and if he hadn't have come through there, you could have hunted it three or four times with the right weather because you you weren't blowing up the bed and you weren't blowing up the food. You see, yes. able to sneak in and out of there. Yep,
1: yeah, definitely with the terrain features and stuff coming in from the bottom and coming up there. I definitely could have hunted it several days.
0: Awesome. All
1: right. You got another one for us? Yep, sure do. So this next one uh, I killed, you know, not too far from my house, uh, probably about four years ago. It was 160 inch uh, 11 point as well. Uh, and this buck what was weird is with him. I got two pictures of him in August. Never seen him before or whatever. Got two pictures of him in August and uh, he disappeared. Never seen him again then uh i was running cameras and then what was funny is during our gun season in december uh, the saturday of our gun season he shows up on my camera and uh so i was like I-, I figured it was he was dead gone somebody else got him whatever uh so so once i got his picture let gun season get past, you know started moving cameras around end up picking him up again on uh, on camera and uh this uh, one spot, every year, uh, some good deer come in there and bed in this area. There's a lot of thermal cover and stuff in this area, and then there's food around. So I went back in there and scouted that, and I jumped several deer, and I, I, I don't know if I jumped him or not. It was so thick. I didn't know. So I set up a couple more cameras. There was a pick cornfield, and then there were on, on the east side, and there was a, a, a winter wheat field, small winter wheat field on the north side. So I went in and scouted both those, found a lot of tracks going in and out of them, found some good tracks. Um, you know, I assumed one of the bigger ones was his. Didn't know for sure. There was a couple other mature deer in the area, just smaller racked. Um, and basically what I did, uh, it, I was fortunate enough to where we had a snowstorm come in. And, and it was it's unusual for a snow to come into Southern Ohio and it remain on the ground for two weeks. But wow. this time it did. I got fortunate and we had like six to eight inches of snow and it was on the ground for like two weeks. So I hunted as much as I could over them two weeks. I can't say I hunted. I I observed and hunted uh, over them two weeks. So what I basically did is I was, uh, I was running cameras in these different areas along trails basically. And I would go in and set an ob- observation stand just to see where most of the deer were coming out at. And what I found is in the cornfield, the does were coming out in one spot and the bucks were coming out in another. So I positioned a stand to take advantage of those bucks coming out there. Then in the winter wheat field, I noticed that they all come out in one spot.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: so basically I set another stand up there. So what I would do on certain winds, I would hunt the corn. On certain winds, I would hunt the winter wheat. And uh, it just so happened that, uh, you know, it, it, then it goes back to the weather conditions, even though we had this snow out there, even though, you know, it was like, you would think perfect weather conditions when it was kind of dreary out with the snow on the ground, the deer would hardly even come out of the timber. Really? We you had a high pressure day and that sun came out, it like rejuvenated them and they came alive because it, it was really cold too. Not only did we have that snow, but the temperatures got down in the teens at night and a lot of times in the single digits. So what I did was I noticed that they were out in the fields more when it was a high pressure day and it was the sun was out. You get up in the twenties. So I positioned myself at that uh, winter wheat field, and like I said, they wasn't. They were picking in the corn, but they were also eating some rough brows. This winter wheat field, they were digging. They had holes and stuff dug out through there in it, but it had a lot of those honey locusts. Pods, trees around the edge of it. And then there was a lot of that honeysuckle too with the green leaves. So they would just be browsing everywhere. Yeah. Uh, coming into that winter wheat or around the edges because I would observe the winter wheat and they weren't just out in the winter wheat. They were along the edges as well feeding. So so it was the perfect conditions. Again, it, it got really cold that night, got down to single digits. It had been dreary for like two or three days. That day, the sun was supposed to come out. It was supposed to be a high pressure day it was going to warm up to like 20 degrees. But when you walked outside the sun, you could feel the heat. It felt like it was 35, but it was really only 20. And we didn't have, you know, the wind was supposed to pick up a little bit that evening, which made it colder. So I went out that evening and the woods just came alive, you know, an hour and a half before dark. And majority of the deer worked into the field, was feeding around the edge of it and stuff and uh he comes strolling right in behind him and uh, I was able to take him and it was uh, eight degrees when I actually killed him so
0: good gracious yeah. so that, that, yeah, you, the, the late season the more bitter the better if you got a high pressure bitter bitter day that's that, yeah. that's the key so it seems like you run
1: through phases like uh like the in beginning of December when they come off the rut last week, last week of October, or last week of November, beginning of December, the deer are on food big time. I mean, it doesn't matter what the conditions are, they're eating, they're trying to get, the bucks are, they're trying to get that weight back on that they've ran off over the last month and a half. Then it seems like you get to the middle of December and they kind of slack off and it's all about fronts and uh, cold weather. Then it seems like sometimes, you know, at the beginning of January, sometimes that doesn't even push them out. When you get into January, you get that severe weather, they have to move. They don't have a choice.
0: Yeah. So. And Ohio is such a great state for that because the season goes so long.
1: Yeah, you know, it goes I, into – I killed a buck uh, several years ago late season. It was like uh, the second to last day of season. It seems like it was like February the 3rd. It was <laughs> yes. crazy. I mean, I, yeah. I, could not, I couldn't believe he was still carrying his rack. Yeah. Because you know, I had numerous other bucks that have already shed. So yeah, that's another tur- issue you run into – I, uh, I hunted a buck, uh, three years ago, uh, yeah, three years ago, 100 and pushing a 190 class, big, huge 10, uh, just a ginormous deer and, uh, was hunting him and, well, well the, the year I was hunting him and he shed, uh, the following year he was pushing 190, this year he was uh, probably mid-70s and, uh he ended up shedding his antler on like the uh, 5th of January.
0: So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. In in, in that time in February, heck, the turkeys are starting to gobble down here in South Carolina. So we're.
1: <laughs> so we.
0: <laughs> yeah. Lucas is over here laughing because he's a, he's a turkey-aholic. He, he's from, he's from up there in your part of the world, or really Northern Ohio, but uh, he, he loves the turkeys. So he's. <laughs> Anytime I mention turkey, buddy, he starts gobbling. This um, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, any any you know, we talked a little bit about it earlier. Mistakes guys make that you can you can think of think of other than you know getting on top of the food or getting too close to the bed. Um, any other mistakes that you you see guys make or you have made that, that have stuck out in your mind um over the years that that you you maybe could warn guys of or
1: sure well we talked about entry and exit Uh, we talked about hunting on top of food we can get into gear a little bit because you know if you're hunting i I shot that i've killed a couple bucks when it was i killed one in in 11 degrees and this is in ohio not in saskatchewan but i killed one 11 degrees and one of them at eight degrees so in hunting low temperatures when you hunt down to 30 degrees you know most equipment uh you know, you don't have issues with. But when you get colder than that, when you get down in the 20s and below, there's all kinds of issues. You know, you have a camouflage company. How many times have you wore other camouflage products when it gets down that cold that it's very noisy? They -hmm. got layers inside of them, whether they're Gore-Tex or some other kind of material that make all kinds of noise when it gets cold. So you have to have quiet material on your hunting clothes. And you need to test that, you know, and th- there's only one way to test it is get out of there and use it. Yeah. Uh, the s- same way with your, uh, and you gotta be able to stay warm. You gotta be able to stay still. Uh, we talked about these deer being uh, on eggshells. You gotta be able to be comfortable and sitting there in that cold weather and not be able to move very much. Cause you can't be jacking around on your phone like you did maybe in October or November. You gotta be in the game at all times uh, in late season uh, because you're only hunting let's say three to four hours in the evening but it's going to be very cold so uh, a lot of the stuff that you've come out with and stuff uh, it's got to be quiet and I'm sure you test that you make sure and you know this fall uh, well this fall this winter when I go out and I'm trying to kill this doe I'm going to be wearing that st- I haven't had a chance to wear it in really cold weather because coldest temperatures I hunted in probably this year was probably 28 degrees. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but then also not only your gear, uh, you know, you gotta be able to keep your feet warm. You gotta be able to keep your hands warm, but then your bow set up, you know, I shoot 70 pounds and you know, the older I get, the more I want to look at cranking my bow down a little bit, especially in late season, because it's hard to pull back. Yeah. Um, in one of my videos where I killed that one buck, I talked about at the 166 inch 11 point, when I first attempted to draw my bow back, it didn't come back. I had to put my, I had to push towards the sky to draw back to drop down on it. Just because I sat there too long and the temperature dropped off, and I wasn't probably wasn't prepared for it with my clothing because of the temperature drop. But then you know, also when it's, I like hunting when it's snowing real hard or sleeting. You know, is is you know how many times have you looked down at your arrow in those conditions and see all these ice knots on your arrow. It's like, okay, well, how's that going to affect it? I've heard horror stories of, uh, of your, of, you know, I shoot a QAD uh, arrow rest that flips up. You know, I, when I'm sitting there a while, I'll take my thumb and I'll flip that thing and make it, you know, cycle back and forth numerous times. I'll take my arrow off the knock and maybe I'll wipe it, I'll take it off my string. Maybe I'll wipe it down really good. You know, things like that. And then I shoot my bow in cold uh, weather you know, at the house, you know, when I pull it back, is it going to make creaks? Is it going to do this? Uh, you know, do you have the, the string, uh, you know, waxed up properly? Just all those little details. And the same way with the stand, you know, you may hang a stand when it's 40 degrees, but is that stand going to shift a little bit or do anything when it's 30 degrees? When it's 15 degrees, you know, what's going to happen? You need to make sure you knock all that stuff out. Also the boots you wear, you know uh, a lot of people wear these boots with uh, with a lot of sole to them that has cleats and stuff and you get dirt and ice and crap in there when you're setting on the stand and you actually move a little bit those particles could fall off and 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 ruin a hunt so you got to look at all that stuff
0: yeah yeah i mean gear it is amplified because of the noise factor right and and, and you, you just it's extreme conditions it takes extreme detail you got to pay real close detail to everything that you're doing yeah
1: i uh, hunted uh, when uh, long it's been 30 years ago i was hunting late season and uh just seeing a bunch of deer or whatever and i had uh just cheap hunting clothing on or whatever and i had this jacket that was kind of a It's kind of like a rain jacket, but it was insulated, and then I. But it was noisy, so I put another jacket over top of it to keep it quiet. Well, that was great when I was at the house. When you get out there and you set in fifteen to twenty degree weather for an hour or so, that was like plastic. When I went to draw my bow back, it was cracking and popping, and yeah, screwed up an opportunity. So.
0: Yeah, and that you know that, that's something that you know not not to throw a plug in here for Osseo, but that's something that we we spent a lot of time with was was our windproof laminate because and there's different versions of that and, and there's some that are really good, but they when they freeze they, they become a plastic bag, yes, and it, it, it crinkles and and so it, it took a lot of R and D research and development to to get our our PU laminate that we have that that you know that we actually ran in freezers for like three days and then would pull yeah. them out and, and, and mess with them to see. So um, yeah that that that's a that's a huge thing with gear hunting late season without a doubt. Sure.
1: And you know when you when you do go in and hunt late season you, you, you take a good bit of clothes, but it, it's best too to uh, pack in as much as you can and and put your clothes on at the stand. Mm-hmm. Like your guys' bibs, the, the zipper goes all the way up to your waist. I pack those bibs in, you know, I have my insulated layers and stuff underneath, I pack them in when I get up in the stand, got my safety belt and stuff on, then I slip them bibs on. It's the same way with the jacket, you know, you can wear a regular jacket, uh, like your Sherpa jacket, very warm jacket, wear that, and then I stick that late season vest over top of it, you got your arm movement free, not bulky, and you got a vest on and you're protected from the elements, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, we 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 touched a little bit on b- your bow and and what your setup. Walk us. I, I try every time, like you know, I've had Andre on and Adam Hayes and you know Justin and and a bunch of guys over the you know last two years, and we we love to talk to guys about their specific bow and arrow setups, just because I think a lot of the guys that listen to the podcast are are kind of "Quote unquote bow nerds," you know they, they love to love to hear the different setups guys run. But walk us through maybe your your arrow broadhead setup, and then through your bow, and and just so guys can hear kind of what you do. Because I know you've put a lot of time behind it and hunted lots of different seasons, and especially late season. So I'm sure the stuff you're using is is pretty bulletproof. Sure. So
1: I'm not a great archer. I don't go shoot archery tournaments. Uh, I, I'm really not a I'm not a really good shot. Uh, and I haven't spent a ton of time, uh, in the archery or the bow geek side of it. Um, I, I take advice from people and then I just put my, you know, my common sense into it and that's what I run. So sure. arrow wise, uh, right now I'm running a deer crossing archery arrow. It's 27 inches. Um, I, I like arrows kind of, uh, I don't like the heavy. I'm not all about the heavy penetration and all this stuff. I want a lighter arrow because I want a, uh, I don't want a, uh, a that much of a drop and pin. I want a tight pin gap because it's yep. all about, uh, you know, getting the proper yardage when you shoot the deer. I don't want to misguess the yardage and be shooting a 600 grain error and shoot under it by foot. <laughs> uh, so mine's, some, mine's somewhere around, I, I think it's around uh, 440 yep. uh, grains, I think what it is. Um, yep. I, sh- I shoot uh, two inch blazer veins. And uh, a deer crossing archery has a it's like a nocturnal knock, but it's it's their own because their diameter is just a hair uh smaller than regular shafts. And then uh, on the end of my arrow, and I've been shooting this broadhead for years and I cannot get away from it. I shoot a rage tripan yeah. and I know you're big on them, I, 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 I cannot get away from it. I, I would like to. You know, maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, me and Justin talk about it, you know, get away from them, whatever. I can't. Uh, they put too big of a hole. Uh, a friend of mine got to shooting them when Rages first come out, and I would not go anywhere near an expandable. And after going on several blood trails that looked like a massacre with him, I switched over finally after like three or four years. But that's what I shoot. Um... I don't shoot fixed blades. I used to, I don't anymore. I shoot the rage, uh tri expand them. So.
0: Yeah, that's a, it. It's and, a heck of a head, man. We, I talked to Justin about this a good bit and I know we've all talked about them before, but it <clears throat> just shot too many things. And, and, you know, I, I've been fortunate and take, I used to work in Africa, so I've got buddies over there and they'll let me come over there and shoot some stuff from time to time. So I've, I've gone over and shot Sable and Kudu and Warthogs and, you know, big bodied wildebeest with them and man they they are it's a great head it is a. Yeah.
1: Great i just try to stay away from the shoulder as much as possible and then let the you know aim best I can and let the chips fall where they're at and i've had great luck with them i did shoot a buck uh my last year buck it took me five days to find him but it didn't have anything to do with the head it had to do with uh, uh, the thickness of the cover and i just couldn't locate him the blood tr- he went out into a uh, a winter wheat field After he bedded the night and uh, I lost his travel direction, and it took me five days to find him. But he only went 250 yards, but in that 250 yards, uh, it would be hard to find an elephant. I mean, it was thick, Thick, thick. yeah, it was thick,
0: it was like bush
1: honeysuckle. So,
0: yeah, that stuff is it's impenetrable. I mean, it's tough, but I mean, that that buck that Justin shot, you know, I i I bet that if he hadn't had a tripan, i don't know, you know. That hole, you know, a small fixed blade, that that hole would have maybe maybe filled back up, and and um that would have been tough.
1: Yes, I, I completely agree. Uh, you know, uh, fixed blades, you know, are, they're good broadheads. I uh, like I said, when I finally switched, I shot a buck through the neck uh, with a uh, fixed blade uh, inch, and I think it maybe three eighths cut, and I missed the juggler. Uh, And I thought, man, if I'd had a, uh, you know, a rage on there, it would have probably been a different story. So so I end up switching and have had uh, nothing but great luck. Uh, You know, one of the things I don't like about them is that little plastic piece that holds the blades, you know, uh, but I just change them out every once in a while. And uh, and, you know, or I'm real conscious on putting it in and out of my quiver and stuff like that. I shoot up. I think it's a true glow quiver. It holds your arrows in two different places. That way you don't have to wedge it up in the foam and stuff like that. Yeah. So, and what kind and of what, about can- your, what about your bow setup, Heath? Sure. So, uh, so my bow, I shoot a, uh, I shoot a Lobo that, uh, that custom gear uh, got with Dart in there several years ago and they don't even make them anymore. But I shoot a Lobo. It's a really good bow. It's like uh, to me, but I haven't shot a new bow. Uh, that they have. So it seems like every year they come out with a lot better bows, but uh, so I shoot it 70 pounds, um, 29 inch draw. I shoot a D loop on it, shoot a peep sight. This year, I went to this nose button. seems like mm-hmm. it worked out pretty good. I changed things up from last year to this year because I, I I've had target panic very bad. Yep. And like I said, I don't shoot a lot, but I've got it in my head. I've got target panic. I, I signed up for that Joe Turner uh, class the whole works. So I've been through the whole gauntlet of it, uh, but I'm shooting a lot better. But still, I fight it. Um, so I switched to a nose button. Uh, I went from a wrist strap release uh, to a uh, ultra thumb release. Yep, and that's helped me a bunch in my accuracy. And then uh, my sights. I went from uh, I had a uh, a four pin fixed sight that I used last year. This year, I ended up going to the Black Gold. Uh, two pin adjustable yep. and I took your advice from this summer and when we talked uh, I end up going and setting my first pin at like 24 yards so then I was good from zero to 27 I think's what it is which yep. that helped out a bunch so once yeah. I got confidence in shooting that uh, I really like it now so
0: yeah 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 that that way you, you know you arrange that one tree and you know it's it's inside 30 you know that it's that top pin you don't have to worry about anything else yes it it
1: simplifies it a lot more i don't want to have to be ranging and adjusting my bar to get the thing set so and then if i want to shoot a farther shot let's say 30 to 40 yards i can dial that exact yardage in and then shoot so but i've never killed a deer over 33 yards um but man alive i've missed out on some last year i had an opportunity at a you know really solid buck at 42 yards and i was telling a friend of mine this but I just did, it was standing broadside in a field, and it was, it was, uh, it was doing a standoff with another buck, and I just did not have confidence to take that shot, and I didn't take it, and I wanted to be able to extend my range a little
0: bit, so. Yeah, yeah, well, that's good, that, that that's a deadly setup, man, that, that's a, that's a good setup, and guys, what, what Heath and I were just talking about is, is I like to, depending on how fast you're shooting, you've got to test it, but around that. 24 to 26 inch yardage you sight your bow in exactly for that distance at like 24 or 26 yards and then you shoot that pin that you just sighted in at that yardage at 30 yards and see where you hit and then you shoot it at five yards and see where you hit And you may be a little bit high at five, and you may be a little bit low at thirty, and it's not necessarily bad to be a little bit low at thirty with the way they they. And when I say a little bit low, I'm talking about half an inch, which is not a not a bad thing because they're you know a lot of times they're going to drop jump the string anyway. Um, But you you have to test that. But that way, you know, in the mornings when you get up. Or the sun comes up or in the afternoons, whatever it is, you start ranging trees around you and you you range all your 30 yard trees, and you know if that deer comes out inside those trees or that log or that brush pile, whatever it may be, you only have to worry about that top pin. You don't have the 20 and the 30 yard pin where you're in panic mode, you you know, or trying to gap shoot at 25 yards or whatever it may be. You use that one pin. And look, we're we're in the bow hunting game right we we want to kill them close, so thirty yes. yards is a long shot. I want I want to shoot them at eighteen. Um, yeah, me too. So, so, yeah, so uh, you know, I, we we practice a lot at further than that, but but definitely want to try and shoot them a lot, you know, a lot closer. That's what bow hunting's all about. You you know, if you, you yes. can see them blink blinking their eyes, man, that that's 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 awesome. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Well, Heath, man, I appreciate it so much. I know we're closing in on an hour here. Um, Thank you for your time talking about late season. And um, guys, I'm going to mention again, the Bobby Worthington course, Heath and I both will be there. Um, We we got a bit of a a feeding frenzy on our hands and and Bobby wanted to do one of those things. And it, it basically filled up within like two hours of the of the podcast um, airing and and so we added another date. So we do have uh, three or four spots uh, of still available for that second class. Um, so I, I got him to agree to do a second one. so it'll be back to back weekends in March. If anybody is interested, we we've got I think it's either three or four spots left. It's only gonna be ten guys per class, just email me at Joe at com, and I can get you the info and and we can get signed up and then Heath and I'll, you know, we'll both be up there. So, man, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. I,
1: I am too. I'm looking forward to hanging out with the legend and then uh, Bobby's a legend in my view. I've followed him in North American Whitetail for as far back as I can remember. And he's just a humble, a great person and, he, and a great deer hunter,
0: so... He, he really is, man. And, and that's something, you know, we we talk about what what makes guys good deer hunters go to the next level to become a great deer hunter. And, and a lot of that is is checking the ego and and being open minded and trying to gain knowledge from guys. You know, every time I hear a big buck story, I, I want to hear every detail every single detail and and when you get an opportunity to to be around somebody like bobby or you or you know andre or any of the guys that that have done it over and over and over again um it's an opportunity to learn and, and and take bits and pieces from different people and drop it into your craft and mold it into your game and and so that's that that's one of the most important things and for him to be able to do these classes you know he he tells me all the time he's like I don't know how much longer I'm gonna be able to do that and he's 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 almost 70 or or he just turned 70 and he's in way better shape than I am so uh <laughs> he's gonna be running our butts up and down these hills in, in, in Kentucky so it's gonna I be can't wait. yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun buddy well I appreciate it you have a good night Heath and um we'll talk soon pal thank you I appreciate it